reading is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to a believing wife along with us? as do other apostles and the, Lord, uh, in the, and the Lord's brothers uh, and Cephas? Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the, the right not to work for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? Do I say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us, because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple and that those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. But I have not used any of these rights, and I am not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me, for I would rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge, and so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, but I may share in its blessings. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, everyone. My name is Robin. It's nice to see some new faces. Uh, I wonder how you reacted to the coronation yesterday, if indeed you watched it or paid attention to it. Responses seem quite different depending on who you ask. I was talking to someone over the road, he's here today actually, uh, who said it looked a bit too much like a display of privilege 
to him. It was like watching a wealthy man born to a powerful family surrounded by other wealthy people getting jewels and a crown. And he didn't like that idea of a display of privilege. But I tell you who really would is the Corinthians. In the city of Corinth 2,000 years ago, privilege and power and class, well, they were the goals. Even the Christians in Corinth wanted those things. They wanted to live like kings. That's the impression we get, at least, as we read 1 Corinthians, which is the Apostle Paul's letter to these Christians. Already you have begun to reign, Paul says kind of sarcastically to them in chapter 4. He means they had everything they wanted. They were living their best life now. These Corinthian Christians, they prided themselves on having knowledge and on having freedom. And they loved to show their knowledge and their freedom in the way they lived. We saw last week that their knowledge and freedom meant they were, or at least were considering, joining in meals in pagan idol temples. No harm, they thought. It's all fair game to us. Living like kings. But Paul challenges them in this section of the letter to have a better, a more Christian attitude. An attitude to love God and people more than your freedoms. It's the overriding principle under these three chapters, chapters 8 to 10. And when you stop and you think about that, and you think about living like that, you realise it's quite hard. Living like that could limit our freedoms. Like in chapter 8, Paul told them it may mean not eating at those pagan temples if it could damage the faith of your fellow Christian. For us today, it could mean anything from giving up your Sunday morning to doing acts of service on your day off, loving your neighbour when it's hard, talking to people who are hard to talk to, right up to the big things, choosing where we live, how we treat our money. It's beyond a religious tick box system, have I done enough? Really, this is an endless endeavour. It's a big ask. With that awareness of others, with that awareness of God and doing what's right by them. It can be far less comfortable living like that than a kingly do-what-you-want lifestyle. And so you may be thinking, or indeed have already thought, hang on, Paul, who are you to ask this of us? And I think that's what the Corinthians were thinking as well. Hold on, Paul, who are you to ask this of us? And 1 Corinthians chapter 9 is Paul's response to that question. Who is Paul that he could ask this of them? Well, firstly, he is a free apostle. Let's have a look at verse one. Paul says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? These are all rhetorical questions. He, he thinks they know the answer. Yes, to all of those. Paul is an apostle. That's someone personally sent by Jesus to lead and establish the early Christian communities. And he's seen Jesus, verse one. 
And you can read about that in the book of Acts. And verse two, he tells them, even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. The Corinthians of all people should know that Paul is an apostle because they came to be Christians. They came to believe in Jesus through Paul's work. Sadly, it looks like some in Corinth were turning up their royal noses at Paul. Verse three, he says, this is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. What did they have against Paul? Well, we know from chapters one and two, they didn't much like his style of speech. And here maybe the issue is that he wasn't that flashy. He wasn't that classy. He wasn't that privileged and he wasn't rich. He didn't fit their idea of an honorable religious leader. He didn't have the nice clothes. He didn't have the nice house. He didn't have nice food. He didn't have a nice wife. Perhaps they thought, Paul, if you were any good at this apostle stuff, surely you'd have more to show for it. A salary, for example. Paul responds in verses four to five. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us as the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or is it only I and Barnabas that lack the right not to work for a living? He's saying he does have the right and the freedom to all those things. He's got the right and freedom to food, to drink, and a spouse, just like the other apostles do. He's not inferior. And he does have the right and freedom to get paid. He gives an example from everyday life to make this point in verse seven. He says, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? Paul follows this with an even more weighty example from the Torah, from God's own law in the Old Testament. He says, it's written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. So that's basically saying, when the ox is treading down grain, let it eat some of it. And Paul says, I don't think this is primarily about oxen. This is a lesson for us. Verse 11, if we have sown spiritual seed among you, Corinthians, is it too much if we reap material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, Shouldn't we have it all the more? See, all the questions, all the rhetorical questions Paul is asking to get them to think, to get them to reconsider who Paul is. The point should be clear by now. Paul is a free apostle and he has the right to their financial support. He's got the right for some money from them. And he's free to ask for his due. But then here's the dynamite. Here's the great twist in the second half of verse 12. But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. What a shock, what a twist, what a counterattack to the Corinthian self-centered attitude of my rights, my freedoms. Paul, the free apostle, lays down his rights. He hasn't asked them for the money that's due him. 
Why? Well, he's just said, verse 12, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ, rather than put an obstacle in the way. Paul is doing here the very thing he told the Corinthians to do back in chapter eight. Just flick back to chapter eight, verse nine. He says, be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. Similar idea here in chapter nine, Paul is saying, I watch how I use my rights and my freedoms depending on how it will affect others. Will it help or hinder their worship of Jesus? I don't want to put anything in the way of that. Paul is leading as an apostle by example in how he's living. He's not using his rights to take money because he doesn't want to put an obstacle in the way of the good news about Jesus. Now in practice, this looked like Paul taking up a day job. He made tents while he was in Corinth and he got financial support from other churches later on. You can read about this in Acts 18 and in elsewhere in the New Testament. The next big thing Paul says might come as a shock to us, but he says that this decision he's made to live like this among the Corinthians, it's a ground for boasting for him. Now, we're used to thinking that boasting is a bad thing. Now, Paul's not talking here about the kind of anti-God, arrogant kind of boasting that says humans are better than God. But this is a godly pride Paul is taking in his decision not to use his rights. He's taking pride that he could lay down that demand for money in order to serve them. The argument in verses 15 to 18 takes a bit of work to chew through, but what Paul is saying is that basically he has no choice but to preach the gospel. He's got no choice but to tell people the news about Jesus. Verse 16, for when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Remember that personal mission he was given by the Lord Jesus himself. Paul doesn't have the choice about preaching the gospel, but he does have the choice to demand money or not. And he's delighted that he can make the choice to not demand money. Verse 18, what then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge, so not, and so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. There are people here, I know, who have given up much for the sake of spreading the gospel, maybe laid down a relationship or sacrificed living in a nicer part of the country so that they could witness here in East London. I hope those people feel a godly pride it may sound strange to say, but it's what Paul says. Hope you can feel a godly pride in laying down your rights for others. And Paul's not done. In verses 19 to 23, he kind of ranks up the shock factor even more. Saying in verse 19, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone 
to win as many as possible. So Paul, this free apostle, he lays down his rights and he becomes, he makes himself a slave of all. He makes this point kind of with loads of repetition and powerfully again and again and again in the verses that follow. So let's read them and just pick up the repetition. So verse 20, he says, to the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. I've become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. See that? See the repetition? See what he is doing? Paul says he is becoming like the people he is ministering to, particularly people with different backgrounds. Paul's adaptable, like a slave. He lets others set the agenda so that he won't cause unnecessary offense and so that a door might open for him to share the message of Jesus. What did this look like in practice? Well, as we read Paul's journeys and hear about his dealings, we find out a lot of it actually was to do with food. He ate kosher food around strict Jews who lived under the law of Moses, even though Paul knows he himself isn't under that law. He also mentions the weak again, just like he did in chapter eight. The weak are those whose conscience won't let them go near idle food. And Paul lived with them like them when he needed. Remember the attitudes to food is what might get the Corinthians into trouble. Paul's urging them to be like him, to adapt what they eat, depending on who will be impacted by it. That's what Paul does. But why does he do it? Did you hear the repeated phrase in those verses? so as to win, he says, so as to win this person or that. Now you might have a positive response to that kind of phrase, like when we say, you've won someone over. Or you might have a kind of negative reaction to that phrase. It might sound a bit crude or impersonal. Winning people may be like a salesman wins a client. Is Paul seeking converts just to increase his heavenly bonus. No. Look at his summary statement at the end of verse 22. He says, I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. Winning people for Paul means saving people. Helping people to faith in Jesus is saving them, saving them from a misspent life and a lost eternity. Paul does everything possible for that gospel goal. And even if it's just some, he says, it's worth it. Now he's not saying here that he changes the gospel message. 
We'll see in chapter 15 of the letter that the gospel message that saves doesn't change. Paul himself is only just passing on what he himself has received. Again, he's got no choice in that. But he does have choice in how he lives around people. He has choice to lay down his preferences for food, for culture, for style, all in order to try and save the people around. I've met so many Christians in my life who have lived like this, and it's been an honor. Those who've adapted to serve those living around them. Some adopting an open house policy in order to serve those who need that or are expecting that. Or there are Christians who are really careful in how they interact and love their Muslim neighbors so as not to cause unnecessary offense. Or Christians who learn a new language in order to speak to people about Jesus or to translate the Bible for them. I know Christians who have moved houses, taught people English, learnt about mental illness, adopted debt counselling, sorry, open debt counselling, helped people through legal battles, all in order to be a servant to them, in order to love them well and to present King Jesus. Paul closes the thought out with a final reason in verse 23. He says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. More literally, that verse translates as, I do this because of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partner of it. A fellow partner, a co-sharer, a teammate, if you will, in the gospel. And since the gospel is all about Jesus, being a fellow partner, a teammate in it, I suggest involves being like Jesus. I wonder if it struck you as we've seen Paul's attitude, just how similar it is to the attitude of Jesus. Jesus who, though he had every right in heaven, yet emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, Paul says in Philippians, being made in appearance as a man for our benefit. Maybe that was your response to the coronation yesterday. You saw something of a display of the service of Jesus. After all, the first words King Charles spoke were, in his name and after his example, I come not to be served, but to serve. Paul will end this whole section in chapter 11 verse 1 saying imitate me as I imitate Christ just a final thought what does Paul why does Paul say that I may share we might think Paul you're already sharing in the gospel you're already in the team you're sorted well, Paul's transitioning here to the next part of his argument, and this will take us into chapter 10 next week. He knows his race, his journey, like theirs, isn't quite finished yet. So he wants to personally stay focused on the gospel. He wants to stay focused on Jesus. Because he knows things could still go wrong for him. 
and for them. More on that next week, but just a little taster for now. When the race is finished, what will be the outcome for being a teammate in the gospel then? We'll just peek ahead to verse 25. We didn't have this part read, we will next week. He says, the outcome will be an imperishable wreath. Or that could be translated, crown. When it comes to the end, being a co-sharer, being a teammate in the gospel of Jesus, it leads to a coronation. It leads to an imperishable crown. The crown that was placed on King Charles's head yesterday is known as King Edward's crown. He's only allowed to wear it once, and we saw it. He'll never get to wear it again. It's lasted for nearly 500 years. The material in it may well be older. Ours will last longer, much longer. If we hold the good news of Jesus to the end, an imperishable crown. And then we will really reign at the side of Jesus, our servant king over a perfect world. Who knows how long Charles will reign, but Christians will reign forever. So coming back to where we began, who is Paul to tell us to prioritize love for God and people over our freedoms. Who was he to ask that? He was a leader, an apostle sent by Jesus. And he led by example, laying down his rights and becoming a servant of all, a slave of all. My prayer is that we will imitate him as he imitated Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Dear Lord God, as Christ emptied himself, so may we, trusting him and by your help, be like the Apostle Paul, willing to lay down our freedoms for the good of others, knowing that the goal is to see people saved and to see people ruling with Jesus in the world to come. We ask this in his name.